coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Tuesday, and thank you for listening to The Ron Show, whether it be on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever it is that you podcast. We'll start with the release that came out shortly after 11 a.m. this morning from the Atlanta Police Department. You may recall that 62-year-old Johnny Hallman, a local church deacon, Atlanta resident, died shortly after being pulled over by police and being tased after refusing to accept a citation for a traffic ticket. Here is the statement. Atlanta Police Chief Darren Shearbaum has issued a decision regarding the employment status of Officer Kieran Kimbrough. Following an administrative investigation by the APD Office of Professional Standards yesterday, on October 9th, 2023, Chief Sherbaum terminated Officer Kimbrough for failing to follow the department's standard operating procedures during the August 10th, 2023 arrest of Johnny Hallman, who died following the incident. APD's administrative review found that Officer Kimbrough violated standard operating procedure when he failed to have a supervisor on the scene prior to proceeding with the physical arrest of Mr. Hallman, who failed to sign the citation. Chief Shearbaum saying, every single person in life in the city of Atlanta matters to me. Part of my job is to assess, evaluate, and adjust how this police department is carrying out its sworn mission to serve and protect the citizens of the city. I understand the difficult and dangerous job that our officers do each and every day throughout the city. I do not arrive at these decisions lightly. Only after a diligent review of all of the facts, while ensuring the due process of our officers, do I arrive at my decision? The APD statement continues the completion of an investigation into the incident conducted by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is pending, as well as an investigation by the Fulton County District Attorney. Further in the statement, speaking of the body worn footage, here is the APD statement on that. The body camera footage of the incident involving Mr. Holloman is part of a pending homicide investigation, of which the investigative bodies have directed the city not to release until the investigation is closed, as well as a pending administrative investigation. We all want justice, and in order for there to be a just outcome, there are policies and procedures in place to ensure a proper and thorough investigation, as well as due process in the upcoming administrative hearing. The department will share the results of both the GBI and the APD investigations into the death of Mr. Holloman, Upon their conclusions, our thoughts are with the Hallman family. The APD statement also includes this information. At the direction of Mayor Dickens, APD conducted a top-to-bottom evaluation of the interaction with Mr. Hallman, including a review of the department's standard operating procedures and training curriculum. As a result of that review, there have been updates to the standard operating procedures of APD regarding traffic citations to allow officers to write refusal to sign in the signature line rather than make an arrest. If a traffic citation is issued, APD officers will have the driver sign the citation only to acknowledge receipt of the citation and awareness of the court date. If the violator refuses to sign the citation, the APD officer will inform the driver that signing the citation is not an admission of guilt. However, if the driver still refuses to sign the citation, the APD officer will write, quote, refusal to sign in the signature line in Section 4, Summons of the Uniform Traffic Citation, and issue a copy of charges in lieu of a physical arrest. 
to their credit, APD in this release provided context to the events of August 10th. Stating on August 10th, 2023, at around 11.20 p.m., an Atlanta police officer was dispatched to a motor vehicle accident at Cunningham Place and Joseph E. Lowry Boulevard in southwest Atlanta. Multiple calls had been made regarding the accident prior to police arrival. Upon arrival, the APD officer conducted an investigation and determined the at-fault driver. The officer attempted to issue a traffic citation to the at-fault driver. However, the driver became agitated and uncooperative. The officer attempted to take the driver into custody, but he resisted, and a struggle ensued. After several minutes struggling with the driver, the officer utilized his taser and, with the help of a witness, placed him into handcuffs. Once the driver was in handcuffs, the officer realized he was unresponsive and requested EMS to the scene. The driver was taken to Grady Hospital and has been pronounced deceased. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation was requested to conduct an independent investigation into the incident. The Atlanta Police Department has opened an internal investigation into the incident, and the officer has been placed on administrative leave, as is standard policy. At the time, the investigation continues. That's what they released on August 10, 2023. They also include a link to the incident report, and we do have 911 audio to listen to as well. Atlanta 911, operator 8386. What's the location of your emergency? Uh, I, I got it. I got somebody ran to my truck right here. Uh, I'm back here on uh, 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 No, no. I'm right here. Jojo, man. Where are you located? I'm right here at Cunningham. Cunningham and uh, and uh, Josie's daughter right there here. Okay, I don't have a Cunningham. You said Cunningham and Joseph Larry? Yeah, I think that's what it is right here, man. Okay, okay. And what's the phone number? Does anyone need an ambulance? No, don't nobody need no ambulance. Okay, what's the phone number you're calling from? And it's... Yes. All right, what's your name? My name is Johnny Holliman. H-O-L-L-L-L-E-R. All right, Daniel, what kind of vehicles are involved? Uh, I, I got a white silver rug, 2021 silver rug. This right here is a, it's a Honda right here. Black Honda. Okay, so I put this call in. We'll get someone sitting out to you, okay? Okay, come on. Thank you, man. Thanks. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> I will include the APD statement in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Lisa Ram is one of the hosts of WABE's Political Breakfast podcast that comes out Wednesday mornings. Uh, she, along with conservative Brian Robinson and liberal Theron Johnson, are on that each and every Wednesday. Uh, that podcast may drop before I'm done with the show today. I'll try and get audio for you if possible, but if not, it'll be out tomorrow morning. Uh, she tweeted earlier today on PB, Political Breakfast, Atlanta's mayor talks about the Johnny Hallman traffic case right as the officer involved was being fired. How this case bolsters the mayor's stance on the new training center, implying that the mayor on Political Breakfast, which again will release either late today or first thing in the morning, seems to be making the case that the Johnny Hallman incident only bolsters the argument for the $90 million Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility, where it is in DeKalb County, outside city limits. Interesting.
Again, I am just going off of Lisa Rayum's tweet that seems to indicate that the mayor on this week's Political Breakfast podcast is using the Johnny Holman incident to make the case for the $90 million Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Uh, if that audio drops before I'm done with today's show, I'll get that to you. If not, we'll go over it tomorrow, of course. Um, I asked Lily Oppenheimer, also with WABE, uh, when that would be released. She says, a full version up in the next couple of hours, on air shortened version during morning edition on WABE 90.1 tomorrow. Like, I'm literally chomping at the bit to hear this. I, I can only hope that perhaps... Uh, Lisa Rayum's tweet is somehow a confusion of what the mayor said, but if the mayor literally used the Johnny Hallman death and that police stop and whatever apparent lack of training uh, the officer who was just terminated today employed as a basal point, as a foundation for pursuing the proposed Atlanta public safety training facility. (laughs) I just think that takes a lot of gumption. I think it takes a lot of gall. I literally question the thoughtfulness or thoughtlessness of making that pitch using this scenario. And by the way, did you ask the family if that's appropriate? I mean, obviously not. And can we just talk about how this narrative sort of looks? See, our officers aren't well-trained. Someone died. We need that public safety training facility. I failed to see how an 80-acre campus and a $90 million expenditure for that campus, outside city limits, in an environmentally impacted piece of land that was once promised as public parkland for nearby residents, I failed to see how this is a pivot point to see that's why we need this particular atlanta public safety training facility look what happened this is like your kid coming home from school and you find out that they got a d or an f in a test that they didn't study for and don't pay attention in class for and they turned to you and said well if you bought me that new ipad or laptop that i asked for i would have studied better i'd have paid more attention what Hey, but like I said, I'm going to wait until the audio comes out on the mayor's appearance on Political Breakfast before I leap to any of these conclusions. Because perhaps Lisa Rayum's tweet is somehow out of context or took something out of context, and perhaps the mayor didn't use the Holloman case to make the argument for the public safety training facility. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen to yesterday's show, uh, my good friend, uh, Jewish American sociology professor, Coker University, Mal Hyman, someone I worked for, uh, well, volunteered on his congressional campaigns for when I lived in South Carolina, spent a good deal of time with me yesterday, giving us some perspective of the Israeli-Palestinian crisis from a point of view of, again, a Jewish American who, oh, by the way, has been to Israel several times in the last five decades. Very thoughtful conversation. Uh, of course, I, I can pick up the phone and call him out, and he and I are always going to have, or he is going to give me anyway, a thoughtful conversation. I may not always have the right responses or answers or even questions, but uh, he is a very smart reason, man, someone that uh, whose friendship I, I, I value greatly. Please go back and listen to that. If you did not get to do that, uh, that is yesterday's Ron Show, which you can listen to anytime you like at ronshowatl.com or on any 
podcast platform that you prefer. Uh, I pivot to that because I, I find it interesting that in this cop city debate, the folks who are fighting the public safety training facility, I see a lot of this on social media, like they sort of are tuned in to the argument from those uh, in Gaza, in the West Bank, uh, the Palestinian movement, not Hamas. Obviously, that seems to be the leap that a lot on the right like to take. Oh, that means you support him. No, that doesn't mean you support Hamas. Um, anyway, going to foster a little bit of discussion on that in the next segment and uh, share some views from folks who, again, I, I see and notice are sort of tuned in to the uh, Stop Cop City movement who also sort of understand the plight of the Palestinian and the slippery slope argument that they make, whether you agree or disagree, uh, when it comes to the militarization of our police culture in the United States. Anyway, we'll have that discussion next. The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. So, I stay active on social media, and while... <laughs> Twitter or X or whatever the hell we're calling it now is declining into more of a cesspool of fascism and Nazism. There's still a lot of fantastic voices who are diversifying their social media footprint as well on threads, this, that, and the other. I have not fully taken the leap over to threads and disavowed my Twitter handle yet because I just keep hoping that, you know, Elon will get smart and sell it off. I mean, it's worth pennies on the dollar compared to what he bought it for, but nonetheless... I follow a lot of uh, bright minds and, and great thinkers uh, on all sides of arguments uh, and, and, and conversations. The Stop Cop City movement uh, really attuned me to a lot of grassroots organizers that have earned my follow since. I was uh, just marveling over the last few days how the delineation seems to be coming out uh, very clearly. Those who are against the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility are also, I think, a little bit more aware of the plight of the Palestinian uh, in Israel. And it was somewhat apparent early on over the weekend, and then it's just become more and more and more apparent with what I see uh, being shared uh, by those who are against the Public Safety Training Facility. And it got me to thinking, like, why is that? Um, and you start to think about it and you have a movement that, um, they're not, uh, first of all, they're, they're pretty diverse. You have those who are environmental activists and that is strictly why they're against uh, cop city. You have those that are uh, social justice, civil rights, uh, activists who understand we come from an era where law enforcement and a lot of political leadership wasn't just turning a blind eye to injustice, but actively involved in it. And what does that say? Who has he who has the most toys, he who has the most guns wins, right? And that there, there's a there's a whole sidebar conversation about gun control that could be had about all of this as well. Suffice to say, it seems pretty clear the delineation. Those who are against Cop City are also vastly more, I notice anyway, sympathetic to the plight of the Palestinian. And as they do, I find myself having to nuance uh, my conversations with anyone when Israel-Palestine comes up. Hey, I have 
I, I, I feel like I'm saying some of my best friends are black. I have a lot of folks throughout my life who are Jewish. One of my favorite neighbors, just uh, one, two, three, four doors down the breezeway in my condo. I think the world of Warren. Fantastic, funny guy. Love him to pieces. We work out occasionally at the facility here in the uh, condo building and hang out at the pool. Just a fantastic guy. Uh, I had my professor Mal Hyman on yesterday. My professor, my friend Professor Mal Hyman on yesterday. Uh, Melita Easters from the Georgia Win List. One of the pundits on the Georgia gang. She's a frequent guest on the show. I don't really feel like I need to flash my bona fides, but but I also find myself having to caution those who are going to make this irrational leap when I start talking about the plight of the Palestinian. Oh, so you support terror? No. Oh, so you back Hamas? No. What Hamas did is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I don't like to even portray what I'm trying to say as whataboutism. But remember when you were a kid, yeah, you had that new cat, right? Or maybe you didn't. You had that new pet. And upon playing with the pet, you got a little too feisty or physical and you upset the pet. Puppy bit you. Cat scratched your face. You run to mom and dad. And what does mom and dad say? Well, what did you think was going to happen when you backed the kitty in the corner or when you were playing too rough with the dog? You got bit. I think there's, in that parable, is a little something to take from that. And I'm not pinning all of the blame on Israel. And I'm not pinning all of the blame on Palestine or... I'm just saying that I, I think that we, we, miss, we miss all angles of this conversation. So it's just interesting that I, again, follow a lot of the Stop Cop City folks on social media, and I see, by and large, that they are a little more aware of the plight of the Palestinian. Uh, one such uh, person uh, retweeted from uh, Dove Waxman, who is a UCLA professor, Gilbert, Gilbert Foundation Chair of Israel Studies and Director of the YNS Nazarian Center for Israel Studies. Dove Waxman, uh, yesterday morning, tweets, To the people celebrating the mass murder of Israeli civilians, you have lost your humanity. To the people enthusiastically calling for Israel to decimate Gaza, densely populated with 2 million Palestinian civilians, you have lost your humanity. Israelis and Palestinians are real people just like you and me. I mean, that's simple. That is so simple, right? Not only is he a friend of the show, he's been on the show, and I believe I've got him on tomorrow as well. Reverend James Major Woodall, who is an associate minister at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, also public policy associate at the Southern Center for Human Rights, and founder CEO of the Major Wish Group, is someone else who I follow on social media. And I'm just struck by a Christian minister and advocate for human rights here in the United States, is also, by the way, a huge Braves fan, huge Falcons fan. We'll probably fall off the conversation on the show tomorrow and talk some football and baseball. I'm just warning you now. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm just sitting here going through his tweets and retweets, and I, I'm just seeing more awareness of the plight of all humanity in the Palestinian-Israeli struggle. 
He retweets something earlier this morning that I thought was pretty profound. It reads, so let me get this right. The world has decided to ignore the long-standing history of conflict between Israel and Palestine. We're just going to pretend that this all started two days ago? We're going to ignore Israeli occupation of Palestine? Decades of human abuses? I talked about the numbers yesterday with uh, Mal Hyman, where leading up to this, over the summer, more polling had been done, and roughly 49% of Democrats actually have a sympathetic view of the Palestinian struggle versus 31% who do not. And that's actually growing, or had been, growing nationally. This just goes back to some of my premise when it comes to the pro-life, pro-choice. Are you pro-life except for asylum seekers, for Palestinian citizens? Anyway, looking forward to this conversation and more again with uh, Reverend James Major Woodall tomorrow on The Ron Show. All right, we got a break to catch. Coming back after this, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast, this is The Ron Show. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Earlier today, President Joe Biden gave a statement, an update on the Israel-Hamas conflict. Here is that statement. Good afternoon. You know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. The bloody hands of the terrorist organization Hamas, a group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jews. This was an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. Parents butchered, using their bodies to try to protect their children. Stomach-turning reports of babies being killed. Entire families slain. Young people massacred while attending a musical festival to celebrate peace, to celebrate peace. Women raped, assaulted, paraded as trophies. Families hid their fear for hours and hours, desperately trying to keep their children quiet to avoid drawing attention. And thousands of wounded, alive but carrying with them the bullet holes and the shrapnel wounds and the memory of what they endured. You all know these traumas never go away. There's still so many families desperately waiting to hear the fate of their loved ones, not knowing if they're alive or dead or hostages. Infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage. Hostages whom Hamas has now threatened to execute in violation of every code of human morality. It's abhorrent. The brutality of Hamas, these bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. This attack has brought to the surface painful memories and the scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide of the Jewish people. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We 
stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. There's no justification for terrorism. There's no excuse. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. Its stated purpose is the annihilation of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. They use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Hamas offers nothing but terror and bloodshed with no regard to who pays the price. The loss of innocent life is heartbreaking. Like every nation in the world, Israel has the right to respond, indeed has a duty to respond to these vicious attacks. I just got off the phone with a third call with Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I told him, the United States experience with Israel experiencing our response to be swift, decisive, and overwhelming. We also discussed how democracies like Israel and the United States are stronger and more secure when we act according to the rule of law. Terrorists purposely target civilians, kill them. We uphold the laws of war, the law of war. It matters. There's a difference. Today, Americans across the country are praying for all those families that have been ripped apart. A lot of us know how it feels. It leaves a black hole in your chest when you lose family. Feeling like you're being sucked in. The anger, the pain, the sense of hopelessness. This is what they mean by a human tragedy. An atrocity on an appalling scale. But we're going to continue to stand united supporting the people of Israel who are suffering unspeakable losses and opposing the hatred and violence of terrorism. My team has been in near constant communication with our Israeli partners and partners all across the region and the world from the moment this crisis began. We're surging additional military assistance, including ammunition and interceptors to replenish Iron Dome. We're going to make sure that Israel does not run out of these critical assets to defend its cities and its citizens. My administration has consulted closely with Congress throughout this crisis. And when Congress returns, we're going to ask them to take urgent action to fund the national security requirements of our critical partners. This is not about party or politics. This is about the security of our world the security of the United States of America. We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. I've directed my team to share intelligence and deploy additional experts from across the United States government to consult with and advise Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery, recovery efforts. Because as president, I have no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the world. The United States has also enhanced our military force posture in the region to strengthen our deterrence. The Department of Defense has moved the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group 
to the Eastern Mediterranean and bolstered our fighter aircraft presence. And we stand ready to move in additional assets as needed. Let me say again to any country, any organization, anyone thinking of taking advantage of this situation, I have one word. Don't. Don't. Our hearts may be broken, but our resolve is clear. Yesterday, I also spoke with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and UK to discuss the latest developments with our European allies and coordinate our united response. This comes on top of days of steady engagement with partners across the region. We're also taking steps at home. In cities across the United States of America, police departments have stepped up, security around centers for, of Jewish life. And the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are working closely with state and local law enforcement and Jewish community partners to identify and disrupt any domestic threat that could emerge in connection with these horrific attacks. This is a moment for the United States to come together, to grieve with those who are mourning. Let's be real clear. There is no place for hate in America, not against Jews, not against Muslims, not against anybody. We reject. We reject. What we reject is terrorism. We condemn the indiscriminate evil, just as we've always done. That's what America stands for. You know, just over 50 years ago, I was thinking about it this morning, talking to the Secretary of State, the Vice President in my office. Over 50 years ago, as a young senator, I visited Israel for the first time as a newly elected senator. And I had a long, long trip a meeting with Golda Meir in her office just before the Yom Kippur War. And I guess she could see the consternation on my face as she described what was being faced, they were facing. We walked outside in that, uh, that sort of hallway outside her office to have some photos. She looked at me all of a sudden and said, would you like to have a photograph? And so I got up and followed her out. We were standing there silent, looking at the press. She could tell, I guess, I was concerned. She leaned over and whispered to me. She said, don't worry, Senator Biden. We have a secret weapon here in Israel. My word is what she said. We have no place else to go. We have no place else to go. For 75 years, Israel has stood as the ultimate guarantor of the security of Jewish people around the world so that the atrocities of the past could never happen again. And let there be no doubt the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. These atrocities. I've been sickening. We're with Israel. Let's make no mistake. Thank you. President Biden's statement earlier today, which, by the way, was carried on just about every television network you could find on the grid. I was going to say the dial, but nobody uses the dial anymore. Remember the old TV dial? You have to get your kid to get up and change the channel. 
I'm reminded of the movie Munich. When did that movie come out? Uh, like 2005, 2006. The movie starts during the 72 Summer Olympics in Munich, where it was Black September, the capture and massacre of Israeli athletes in Munich. Afterwards, five men were picked to eliminate those who were responsible for Black September assassination of athletes. At the time, Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir signed off on a covert operation to hunt down and kill all of them involved. So this team of five gathered in Switzerland and went about eliminating all of those throughout Europe and Lebanon who were involved in that terror attack. I remember watching that movie and just being marveled at the intelligence apparatus and the will and the determination. And I have absolutely no idea how much Hollywood just went overboard or hyperbolic with any of it. But I was just stunned and marveled at the prowess and determination that the Israeli intelligence outfit, Mossad, had at their disposal. Just marveled at it. And then I remember what it was like after 9-11, and I started hearing the run-up to the invasion of Iraq, and I was skeptical from day one. And I, 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 I can't say much, but I know that because I had friends who worked in military intel at the time, that a lot of the conversation around the premise for going to war was, frankly, bullshit. So I was pretty much from day one in opposition to our invading Iraq. I had friends, by the way, who served in the military who wound up going overseas, and I'd hold my breath waiting on them to come back safely, and thankfully they all did. I do have a close friend who lost a close friend who was serving overseas, and so I know he's forever carrying those psychological scars, but at least thankful that he came home. And I, I just, I was questioning then, and I'm questioning now, where is the surgical-like precision to take care of those involved? And I, I mean that in the, the, the most bluntest of terms. Do what you got to do. Get rid of them. Taking out those involved, Hamas. And I understand Hamas uses human shields. Does it, it, to me, it, it doesn't mean you go in with a sledgehammer and take out the human shields to get to Hamas. I, I, just, I have deep-seated issues with this. Israel is telling those who want to flee Gaza, head to the Egyptian border, the uh, Egyptian gate, and then they've bombed that access point. After 9-11, we invaded not one, but two countries seeking to take out those responsible for the handful of men who were trained to commandeer airplanes and fly them into buildings and kill as many Americans as possible. So trillions of dollars in military expense later and tens of thousands of American dead, hundreds of thousands who passed on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. We get our guy, not because of those military actions, but because of a covert operation, not even in Afghanistan or in Iraq, but in Pakistan to take out the principal figure responsible. And I go back to being that person watching the movie Munich 
and marveling at the intelligence, the precision in taking out those responsible. And I come back to where we are today, and I ask, where is this precision? Like just about everybody else, I want those responsible for the weekend's attacks to be held responsible. I want them to pay the price. And if that means the ultimate price, then that means the ultimate price. No triangulation there whatsoever. But I reject the notion that there are acceptable losses, that there are acceptable civilian casualties, that inflicting terror on a population of 2 million or so, just to drive home a point, is the way to arrive at peace. I also fully understand that President Biden has to sound strong, and he did. I would just personally like to know, and maybe not know, or just hope in my heart of hearts that behind the scenes, he too is talking to Netanyahu so far three times and saying, hey, the surgical precision after Munich 1972, can we try that instead of genocide? Ron, show back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show, and let me just pivot to a conversation that has absolutely nothing to do, well, I don't think it has anything to do with politics, or Cop City, or Palestine-Israel. How about this article in today's AJC, that the Atlanta Metro Region's 4488, the number 4,488 sales last month, home sales, down 16.7% from August, and 21.8% down from September of 2022. Interest rates are bogging down the housing market. A lot of folks a little more timid about the idea of buying a home or even selling the home they're in because they got those great interest rates or uh, had their, uh, their, their mortgage refinanced to get those great interest rates over the last couple of years. And so even if they need to move out, they're not going to move out or they're not going to sell. They're going to, if they can, uh, rent the home and hold on to it and hopefully uh, either rent or purchase in some way, shape, form, or fashion the next place they're going to live in. It's kind of like a rate prison when you're stuck with those great rates that you got a few years ago, but you need to move. Uh, and a lot of folks who are thinking about buying or were thinking about buying or, or need to be buying uh, or maybe sitting it out thinking, eh, I'm just going to wait. Here's the problem. For one thing, the more you rent, the more money you're putting into somebody else's pocket. You're paying off somebody else's equity or into somebody else's equity instead of creating your own. The other thing is, like you, a lot of those would-be buyers are, quote, just going to wait until the mortgage rates drop, which means that when you are in the, okay, they're low enough, whenever that is and whatever that means, uh, when you hit that point, a lot of other people are going to be doing the same thing. And what's going to happen is it's going to drive up demand, which is going to drive up the cost of the home anyway. It's kind of a no-win scenario, really, when you think about it. It, it kind of sucks. Um, here's the thing. You could forego all of the interest rate worries by deciding to turn your offer into an all-cash offer, which you can do even if you don't have all that cash to fork out for a home purchase. If you want to ask me about that, if you haven't caught on to this before, I am a residential real estate agent, a realtor here in Metro Atlanta. <clears throat> and even if you don't live in Metro Atlanta, but you're kind of curious what I'm talking about, well, feel free, hit me up, uh, ron at ronshowatl.com, uh, 404-919-2725 if you want to call. <clears throat> Those options exist to turn your offer 
into an all-cash offer, even if it's a FHA or, or VA or a conventional loan. Um, they're there for just about anybody who could qualify for a mortgage loan, and there are thousands of homes just in Metro Atlanta where you can use these all-cash options to buy a home. Uh, if you are selling or have sold your home and uh, maybe you have enough cash available to make an all-cash purchase, great. Your path to the next home is pretty easy, right? You don't have to sweat the uh, interest rates. If you've got a lot of cash but not quite enough to outright buy a home, there is what's called an assumable mortgage. Uh, and those options exist as well. And I'll get to that here in a little bit. If you're that homeowner and you're kind of stuck, you're like, man, I got this great rate back when you bought or you refinanced when those rates, you know, were historically low, you don't want to give that rate up. You know, even when you're in a position where you need to sell your home, you have options too. Again, the assumable mortgage. If you check, you may not know this. You may not know if your mortgage loan is assumable. If it is, it makes it uh, a lot more appealing to potential buyers. Again, you got questions, feel free to hit me up, ron at ronshowatl.com. Uh, you can always, you know, DM me on Twitter. I actually accept those at Ron Show ATL. Um, so find out if your mortgage is assumable. If you need to sell your home, find out if your mortgage is assumable. Do the homes you're considering putting an offer in also have an assumable loan? Well, these are questions to ask. Uh, assumable loans tend to, the, uh, tend to be either VA, VH, or FHA, or USDA loans. Anyway, they give the home seller the opportunity to entice more buyers because you can pass on that fantastic rate to the next buyer. And if they've already sold their home, they're sitting on a good chunk of the money that would probably bridge the gap between uh, what's left on your mortgage and what you're asking for it. You see what I'm saying? Um, obviously, you know your potential buyer has to be qualified by the lender holding your assumable mortgage, but you see how anyone can come away with their needs met by going this route, right? I know what you're thinking. Uh, but my mortgage isn't assumable and I still need to sell. So the good news is, is that inventory, housing inventory is still really low and demand is still pretty high, even though there are a lot of folks who are kind of playing the waiting game. And I'm telling you, that's a no-win scenario. You're waiting like a lot of other people are. And when you all hit the market again, demand's going to surge and the prices of the houses are going to go up and you're going to spend the money either way. I guess my point is, it's not Halloween yet. There's nothing really to be scared about. Trick-or-treaters often take a flashlight to guide them through that dark and spooky night. In a seemingly dark and spooky housing market, maybe you should ask a qualified realtor to be your guiding light as well. And again, if you live in Metro Atlanta, have I mentioned I happen to be a real estate agent, a realtor? Hit me up, ron at ronshowatl.com. Be glad to answer those questions for you. Or uh, at ronshowatl on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram even. You can also call 404 919 Maybe you're thinking, I thought I tuned into a conversation about politics from a progressive point of view. Well, actually, I, I find that home ownership, I, I, this is something I'm passionate about, y'all. Home ownership is the one most uh, consistent way for Americans to climb the economic ladder, to grow their personal and then familial and then generational wealth. And I know that throughout much of the United States history, Buying a home has been out of reach for the marginalized and even the poor. And I never thought that was fair. And I'm glad that we've made some strides in the last few decades to get rid of a lot of those obstacles. So I'm just pretty passionate about helping those 
fulfill their housing needs and growing their personal and familial and generational wealth. That's how we eradicate the income gap or the, the consistent way to eradicate the income gap between the marginalized and uh, the Americans who haven't been marginalized. And on that note, I'll get off my soapbox. How about the Braves last night? Oh my gosh. I don't know about y'all, but like come to sixth inning, I was like salty. I'm like, man, they're going to do it to us again. And maybe they still will. But last night at least gave us a little taste of what 2021 felt like. It was good to get that win against the Phillies. And now we head up to Philadelphia for games tomorrow and uh, the night after that. Best of luck to the Bravos. All right, that's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes, got them for you at RonShowATL.com. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.